It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. This is Lighthouse Faith Podcast, moving forward in truth and love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book, Lighthouse Faith. Well, the default mode thinking about science and religion these days, or logic and faith, is that they are opposites, antagonistic even. There are those who believe, and and wrongly, I might add from my point of view, that science has disproved religious beliefs, um, that there is a God or who created the universe. However, what seems to be growing these days below the secular worldview radar is that more and more scientists see a strong compatibility between science and faith, um, that indeed logic actually leads to faith. There is a power in this universe that we can neither see, feel, or touch, but it is there, and it created the universe. But whether you believe that or not depends on your worldview, the foundational beliefs of your heart, in other words, on what you base your fundamental trusts. Dr. Michael Gillen is trained in physics, astronomy, and mathematics. He is a scientist um, and has a fascinating story of his journey from atheism to Christianity. And it's it's not a journey he made despite his scientific mind. It is really because of it. And you've probably seen him on ABC's Good Morning America and 2020 and in other news shows as a science commentator. And he has a new book titled Believing is Seeing. A physicist explains how science shattered his atheism and revealed the necessity of faith. And Dr. Miller, Dr. Michael Gillen joins me now. Welcome to Lighthouse Faith Podcast. Oh, Lauren, thank you so much. And thank you for that just awesome introduction. I, I don't know what I can do to or say to <laughs> add to that, actually. Let's just stop right now. No, actually, <laughs> no, let's not. No, it's thank you, Lauren. It's wonderful to be on the show. Well, it's wonderful to have you because I've watched you for years on TV um, and just fascinated by how you present this idea of science and make it so user-friendly. But why do you think so many people believe that science and faith are just enemies? I think it's because they uh, listen to I, I think it's be, I think it's because they listen to the loudest voice in the room, which is the media amplifying the voices of secularists mm-hmm. um, wh- whose message is precisely that. Yeah. That somehow logic is the enemy of faith, um, science is the enemy of religion, the Bible, Christianity in particular, and nothing could be further from the truth. And in my new book, I explain not only is faith not inferior to logic, um, in fact, logic requires faith. Logic, Any logical argument you make, Lauren, mm-hmm. whether it's mm-hmm. a simple one or a complicated one, always begins with certain assumptions. And those assumptions typically are ones that you cannot prove. So you just right. take them on faith. So even logic itself is based on faith. Wow. I mean, also, I'm thinking about the public school system is when they brought they took really faith out of the science of, of the school system. No public, no prayer, um, you know, n- no Christmas vacation. It's, you know, winter vacation, no Easter, it's spring vacation. Um, how did that, do you think, contribute to this sort of science and faith uh, on opposite ends of the belief spectrum? Well, I think what's driving that or what's driven that, and I've seen it in my lifetime, exactly what you were saying, <clears throat> is that 
think about it. In my in my lifetime, we've had a polio vaccine. We've had um, rocket ships uh, created and, and sent people to the moon. Now we're talking about going to Mars. Uh, we, we, we have computers that were invented, uh, the nuclear bomb. These are all scientific and technological inventions. And what, what that did, I think, was to impress the public mind. Mm. Basically, the public started saying, wow, it's science that's the miracle worker. And it kind of edged out Jesus as the miracle worker. And today what we see is this kind of almost, I don't want to say full-blown secularization because that's Mm -hmm. not true, but certainly secularization has taken over the public imagination, uh, the kind of the public wonderment. I have a a Gen Z son and he grew up with, with these scientific and technological marvels that now rule his life, social media, computers. Um, iPhones and, and all of that. And for that generation, the Bible, stories about Jesus, they all sound so old and musty and dusty. Right. And I think that is what led to prayer being, you know, uh, kicked out of the classroom, the, uh, sci- uh, the, the Christian worldview or religious worldview, a spiritual worldview, not having a place at the table in our curriculum, uh, curricula, which is just outrageous. So, yeah, I think all of that created to this kind of just cataclysmic, and there's no other Mm. word for it, cataclysmic misperception that somehow science and religion, in particular science and Christianity, are at odds. Nothing, Nothing is further from the truth, and I explain that in this new book. You know, it's very interesting, too, because a lot of, I heard one preacher talk about that, and he uses scripture um, um, in in the New Testament, um, is that you basically, even atheists really already know there's a God. It's it's not the information that's missing. It's, it's, it's a worldview that you so want to hold on to that creates the sort of parameters of what you will believe and what you won't believe. And you talk about that in your book, a worldview. Why is worldview so important? Because it is your inner Svengali. Your worldview, my worldview is the thing that pulls our strings 24-7, 365. That means that it's the way you see the world and how you see the world will determine how you react to the world. And guess what? Your worldview, my worldview, are based on assumptions, axioms that we cannot prove, see, or even imagine, but we take on faith. So the conclusion that I explain in the book is that everyone has a worldview, Mm -hmm. right? Everyone's worldview is based on assumptions they cannot prove. So in other words, your worldview is based on faith, F-A-I-T-H, yes. Even atheists' worldview is based (laughs) on faith, on things they cannot prove, right? Mm -hmm. Furthermore, there are two other qualities to your worldview that are very important. Second, so the first one is your foundation. Mm -hmm. All worldviews are based on axioms. The question is, what axioms are you basing your worldview on? Okay, that's what distinguishes worldview. Second, what's the size of your worldview? Is it big enough only to allow for logic, only to allow for the scientific method, or is it big enough to include both the scientific method and the Bible, the uh, God and science? Um, And third, what what is at the center of your worldview? So, when I was growing up, 
um, you know, I loved science since I was in the second grade. I traced my, my love of science back to that when I was seven years old. Mm-hmm. Um, at the center of my worldview at that point was me, me and my dream of becoming a scientist. So yeah. the, the, that, third, that third thing is very important because whatever is at the center of your world, whatever everything else in your life revolves around, the most important thing in your life, that's your God. Okay, yes. and so for many, many, so so the bottom line, Lord, is number one, we all have a worldview, right? Mm-hmm. We all we all base our worldview on assumptions that we cannot prove, so it's based on faith, right? Number three, uh, uh, what the 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 your the size of your worldview will determine the size of your reality, and 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 finally, uh, we all have a God. So in in the case of atheists, the the God there typically can be themselves. And I and, and I've pondered this a lot and I and I think it gets back to what you said a moment ago. And even research bears this out that when you query atheists, uh, a certain number of them, a certain percentage of them actually confess to believing in a higher being. Now go figure. How can yeah. you call yourself an atheist and still believe in a higher power? But if you look at the Pew polls, if you look at the Gallup right. poll, if you look at the Harris polls, it indicates that it's. I think it's something like sixteen to twenty percent of all atheists confess that they um, believe in a higher power, and more than that, uh, more than that percentage of atheists claim that they have a spiritual sense that they right. they sense right. they say they have a sense of spirituality. So I think you're right. I think that all of us are wired to have a glimpse into a world that we cannot see or prove or even imagine. That is to say, the spiritual world. Mm-hmm. Some of us, for whatever personal reasons are, want to kind of ignore that, and so we we yeah. kind of stubbornly insist that there is no God. There's nothing more than what we can see. But I think that the evidence clearly, or certainly in my case, I've spent decades uh, going from atheism to Christianity. It wasn't like a road to Damascus moment for me. It was right. it, it, it was, was rather circuitous, <laughs> as we say, well, <laughs> because I'm an intellectual, Lauren, and, yeah. and I, you know, I. I have to explore everything. Look, when I was when I was in middle school, I drove my middle school math teacher crazy because I always asked questions. I kept interrupting his lectures with my questions. And and finally he got so fed up one day he started calling me Michael Jillian. He says, You know what? I'm gonna start <laughs> calling you Michael Jillian because you just ask a Jillian questions and he was really <laughs> genuinely annoyed with me. But you know what? Guess what? I didn't stop asking questions. So the reason it's taken me so long to get to the point where I am, because I started off with this as an atheist. I had mm-hmm. a what you would call a, a hardcore scientific atheist worldview, right? Now, All now, now was, did this did this come from your parents' understanding? Were they atheists or were they religious or did they sort of have a perfunctory kind of uh, faith that never really got down to the heart level? Why w- were you an atheist? Uh, great question. No, I am the poster child of modern days because I, I was raised, I was reared in a Christian home. But from the age of seven, I loved science for whatever reason. Well, now I look back on it and I see the reason. I think God wanted me precisely in this position so that I can speak to people with authority. And that is um, my, my dad, my two grandfathers were Pentecostal ministers. Mm. They were Spanish-speaking Pentecostal ministers because I'm five-eighths Mexican, uh, two-eighths Cuban and Spanish, and I have one-eighth Austrian. Go figure. I don't know. <laughs> You know, I, always, I, I always have to chuckle because I, I remember some years ago, my aunt Alicia, 
who still lives in Southern Texas, she said, you, you know, we, we, because, you know, I assumed I was hundred percent Hispanic. She says, no, no. If you go back far enough that we actually have a little bit of Austrian in us, in us. So, oh, wow. so I, I, I'm always careful to include that one eighth, you know, one eighth Austrian. <laughs> don't, but, don't want to leave anybody out. No, but my, my, my dad and my two grandfathers were Spanish speaking Pentecostal ministers. I mean, we went to church seven days a week. And maybe, I don't know, maybe I rebelled against that. I don't think I rebelled against It's just that God put this love, this uncanny, powerful, passionate love for science in my heart when I was in the second grade. And so I dreamed of becoming a scientist. And then I had this kind of, I would say, intellectual crisis in grad school when I, again, started asking tough questions of my professors. And they really couldn't answer them. And I just didn't stay put. I wouldn't accept the status quo. Yeah. And so I off I went exploring kind of the spiritual world. And and it was a <laughs> I, I went I into mean, you tried everything. You tried everything. Oh Lauren, listen. Well I started Hinduism first because one of my professors at Cornell, where I went to grad student, Carl Sagan, very famous astronomer. Oh, yes, of course. I didn't realize you t- you um you, you you learned under Carl Sagan. Oh yeah. No, I took courses from him and Frank Drake uh, on what we call exobiology, which is uh, studying life outside the planet Earth. And both Carl and Frank, well, Frank was on my thesis committee, but I took cl- classes from Carl and Frank. Both of those are the god- godfathers of, of SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Yeah. Listen, I, I just happened to be at the right place at the right time. So yeah, Carl, Frank, a bunch of other people were at Cornell when I was a grad student. And I remember listening to Carl because at that point he was getting famous. He was being on, he was going on the Tonight Show, and and so right. and, and 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 almost invariably in in his conversation with people, he would bring up what he called the Vedas, and I mm. and I didn't know, you know, this was the days before Google, so I couldn't just Google the word Vedas, and I just shrugged it off. I I thought I don't know what he's talking about, but clearly this was some kind of a religious feeling that he had. Well, when I had my own intellectual crisis during grad school, when I realized that science could not provide me with the kind of answers that I really demanded, solid, rigorous, honest answers, I thought, okay, well, where else besides science can I look to find answers? And mm-hmm. that's when I flashed on Carl talking about the Vedas. Because, mm-hmm. And I thought, well, if it's important to Carl, why not me? I'm a nobody. And I'm just a little, you know, a scientific monk grad student. Yeah. Um, and so when I went to Olin Library, which was the grad student library on, on, on at Cornell, lo and behold, I found out, hey, the Vedas are the sacred literature of the Hindu religion. Well, that was like a, that was like the clouds parting and and introducing me to a whole new world that I had never even contemplated. You know, this kind of sp- yeah. exotic spiritual world. So you know, I I did I, I listen. Anytime I do anything, Lauren, it's always with both feet and both hands. I never, ever, (laughs) ever do anything halfway. It's just not in my nature. I'm rigorous. I dive in. I immerse myself. So I immersed myself in Hinduism. I found it quite fascinating. Then I remember a friend of mine gave me uh, a book uh, called the I Ching. So I I started exploring I Ching and Confucianism and and Eastern mysticism and Buddhism. And then my thesis professor was uh, Jewish, Richard Lieboff, God bless him, rest in peace. 
And Richard was, um, he was kind of like a conservative Jew. He wasn't an Orthodox Jew. Mm -hmm. So he started taking me to Shabbat services on Friday night, you know? And so we, and then afterwards we would have a little Onik Shabbat, a little snack afterwards. And so I got into Judaism and I found that was really, really interesting. And then uh, a guru by the name of Maharishi Mahesh Yogi uh, was making the rounds of the campuses at that time. And so he, he visited Cornell and so I got interested in transcendental meditation. They call it TMI, Transcendental Meditation International. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you know what really, you know what really interested me about that? The, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the guru said, listen, if you get serious about TMI, you can actually learn how to levitate. Oh, wow. And you you got to understand for a pinhead like me, like a, as I call myself a scientific monk because I ate, breathed, lived science just slept like three hours a day. Science was my whole thing. When I heard somebody say you could levitate, I'm thinking, wow, you mean I could, I could learn how to defy the law of gravity. That would be so cool. And wow. so I got into TMI. Did, did you uh, gravitate by the way? No, I tried it. It never worked for me. And I think <laughs> I'm not going to say, you know, listen, I'm not going to say it's fraudulent or anything like that. I listen, one of the things Lauren that I that I, I really quite take quite seriously. Look, I explored all, I ended up exploring all the major world religions and I found them each quite fascinating and I learned something quite interesting from each of them. They opened my eyes to this kind of spiritual world, this world we cannot see, prove, or even imagine, right? I mean, it was right. the first time I had stepped off the scientific plantation where my worldview was quite small. My worldview was confined to logic, to things that I could see, prove, and imagine. If I couldn't do either of those, then they didn't exist for me. Wow. So for, for, for me, these world religions were really quite a tutorial in this other world out there, right? Wow. So I have a lot of respect for all religions, and I make it a point never to badmouth any religion. But no, that levitation never worked for me. And each of the religions in its own way kind of left me wanting. Again, like science, they didn't answer my tough questions. And then very briefly, I'll tell you a story that changed my life forever. One day I came well, home from- Let's hold on to that thought because I, want, I need to take a break right now here on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. We'll take a break. We'll be right back with Dr. Michael Gillen. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. All right, we're back with Dr. Michael Gillen on Lighthouse Faith Podcast, and I want to get to that story we were talking about, you know, the, the one thing, that fascinating thing. What, what was that? Well, you can't make this stuff up. One day, as I said, I, I describe myself as a scientific monk because quite literally, I would wake up about six in the morning, uh, barely groom myself. I was very unkempt. I had big hair, big curly hair. I had tight jeans. I, I often joke, I Tight jeans are back, so I was kind of ahead of my time in terms of fashion, but <laughs> <laughs> I was this kind of skinny, malnourished, poorly groomed geek, uber geek, and I call myself a scientific monk because I would go straight to my lab, and I would spend the entire rest of the day either there in my classrooms, and then I would kind of call it a day at about three in the morning, and I would trudge back oh. to my dorm room. Yeah, no, seriously. So I slept maybe at most three hours a day. And you know what? I even begrudged those three hours. I begrudged eating. I had no social life. I didn't want a social life. My lab was in the basement, so I didn't know if it was day or night. I didn't care. I didn't know if it was a weekday or a weekend. I didn't care. So this one particular night, which was like any other night, uh, three in the morning, I'm trudging across the campus. It's dark. The lights are on. I love that. I love that feeling of 
being the only one awake mm -hmm, on mm -hmm. campus, you know? So I trudge my dorm room, I open my door, and I hear a scraping sound. So I look down and I see there's a white envelope wedged between the bottom of the door and the floor. Mm -hmm. And this had never happened to me before. So I, I just got down, I opened it up and there it's a Valentine's day card. And number one, my first reaction is, Oh, I didn't even know it was Valentine's day. I had no <laughs> idea. And Frank, and, and technically it wasn't because it was three in the morning the following day. So, oh, but anyway, right. But it was signed by a, a girl named Laurel. And I thought, Laurel, Laurel. Oh yeah. And I remember a Laurel who I'd had in my physics for poets class that I had taught two years earlier. We called it physics for poets because it was taken. These kids who took my class were not physics majors. They had to just take a physics class to satisfy the graduation requirements. Right, right. So they took it and we tried to sugarcoat it a little bit, try to make it, you know, interesting for them. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and I remember her immediately because she sat in the front row and she had, she was a brunette with big brown eyes, very smart, very pretty. I remember her being a, a, a member of a Kappa Kappa Gamma uh, sorority, which was a sorority known for their beautiful uh, girls. Mm -hmm. And so I'm thinking, I'm standing there at three in the morning in my dorm room with this Valentine's Day in my card in my hand. And I'm thinking, what's this all about? I mean, I was like totally confused. And uh, so in the days that came, I, I sought her out just to thank her. And just one thing led to another. And uh, we just hit it off. And I started stealing time away from the lab. And she lived in a, a house with other uh, women. Mm -hmm. and, it, and this house had a roof deck. And so I would go to her late at night and we would go climb up on the roof deck and we would just talk into the night and, you know, like two, three in the morning under the stars in Ithaca, New York, there, uh, there in college town mm -hmm. and talking about everything, talking about life, talking about mostly science, because that's what interested me. <laughs> and yeah, she was yeah. very gracious. She just sat there and listened to me and she asked great questions, which I, I really loved. And then, you know, I started talking to her about the spiritual journey that I was on. And, and uh, at one point she said, yeah, she was a lapsed Catholic and her mom had gone into the new age stuff. So she was kind of a seeker too and kind of roaming around just like I was, kind of like a little lost puppy. And uh, one day, she, one night she asked me, hey, have you ever read the Bible? I mean, you've done Hinduism, Buddhism, you've done all these things. How about Christianity? Have you ever looked into that? Have you ever read the Bible? And I kind of looked at her and I said, no, Laurel, not really. I said, because number one, I grew up listening about Christianity and I've kind of like, you know, it's old. I've been there, done that. And mm -hmm. I'm not sure it could teach me anything. And number two, I have the impression that people who read the Bible, Christians just hate science. What they is like, that? They, I mean, that's so wrong. Well, I, I know, but that was that. But Lauren, that was my worldview back then. Remember, I had yeah. that scientific, hardcore scientific atheist worldview. So I had I had drunk the Kool-Aid. I believed that. And so I said, so Laurel for, you know, they hate science and science is like my number one love. How could I possibly have any interest in the Bible or Christianity? Right. And mm -hmm. uh, and in fact, at one point I, I said to her when our relationship got a little bit serious, I said, you know, Laurel, you have to understand that even if this gets serious, science is always going to be my number one love. I mean, I literally told her that. Yeah. And, and she stuck with me. I mean, she's an angel. But anyway, so uh, she didn't, you know, she didn't def de defy me or argue with me or anything like that. But, you know, some while later she said, look, um, 
I haven't read the Bible either. And if you read it, I'll read, read it with you. We'll read it together. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I wasn't stupid. And, you know, I was kind of liking this. Having a girlfriend was kind of a whole new experience for me. And I, I thought, well, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to mess it up. And so I, I just kind of went along with it. It wasn't because I had, I'm just being honest with you. Okay, Lauren, right, I'm right. being honest with you and your listeners that it wasn't because I was suddenly interested in the Bible. I wasn't, I was interested in Laurel, yeah. but in retrospect, I realize now it's so crystal clear to me that, um, God, at that moment, at that point in my life, that pivotal moment, because I could have gone so many different directions, God used Laurel to kind of rope me in. And um, so we read the Bible and you know what? It took us two years. Why? Because we're both kind of very inquisitive intellectuals. We, you know, we would read a verse and we'd go like, wait a minute, didn't that contradict the verse we read like two days ago? And we'd go mm-hmm. flip back. And, and then at one point I told Laurel, I said, Laurel, you know, at the rate we're going, it's going to take forever. So, you know, these are all great questions we're asking. Uh, so why don't we just write them down? So we got a spiral notebook, you know, one of those w- with a wire spiral. Yeah, yeah. And, and we just, whenever she or I had a question, I said, okay, we'll write it down. We'll come back to it. But let's just keep moving because we're never going to get through this thing. So, so it took so, us two so years. What, what was it? What was it about the Bible that made you realize that, that this probably was the truth? What was okay. it about it? Okay, I'm going to tell you quite honestly because it's it, it, I it I can remember it like it was yesterday. The Old Testament did not impress me. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm just mm-hmm. being honest. I, again, I'm not. I'm not because disparaging. And I'm glad you say that too, because I, if I ever tell people to read the Bible, I tell them really start with the New Testament because it actually will help make the Old Testament a little bit more clear. Um, well, that's an inter- that's interesting. And I, I would have to think about that, but I didn't, and I'll tell you why I, yeah, I don't want to say I didn't find it interesting at all. I did, but mm-hmm. to me, it read like a lot of other sacred literature in the sense that it was very logical. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, God created us, gave us choice. We blew it. He punished us. He gave us a second chance. We blew it again. He punished us again. He gave us a third chance. We blew it again and he punished us again. So it was very logical. It was like, Mm -hmm. you know, you get what you deserve. You get what you deserve. It's karma. Karma is a very logical kind of uh, concept. All right. And that did not interest me because all the other sacred literature I had ever read, which was Hindu, Hinduism, Buddhism, Confucianism, uh, Judaism, it was all very logical. Okay. Uh, it was an eye for an eye. You hurt me. I hurt you. Okay. Um, and, uh, so I read it. I thought, okay, well, this is interesting, but, uh, you know, but then, oh my gosh, I, Lauren, I will never, ever for the rest of my life, forget the day, the morning that we turned the page on the old Testament and started reading Matthew. Matthew one one, and it was uh, the only way I can describe it to you is it was as if we had been sitting in the dark uh, for yeah. so many months, and then all of a sudden somebody switched on the light. Suddenly the narrative was very different. Yeah. Suddenly it was very not logical, and especially when I started reading what Jesus reportedly said, yeah. and this character Jesus really stood out at me, jumped out at me, like unlike any other sacred person in any other religion, Jesus is unique in the sense of how he speaks, what he says, what he advocates. The truths that he espouses are very not logical. Now, 
Someone who is very superficial, someone who, you know, doesn't kind of want to think beyond that will just say, well, yeah, that's just stupid. That's just illogical. That doesn't make sense. Closes the book, walks away. And I think a lot of people just stop there. They just kind of, do, well, this is just nonsense. This is stupid. This is illogical. No, 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 no. I have an advantage, I guess. And I'm just saying, I guess, because that's the only thing I can say. Because as a scientist, all my life up to that point, I had been trained uh, to contemplate really far out things, um, you know, black holes, virtual particles, uh, imaginary time, uh, the quantum vacuum. And when I read the New Testament, when I started listening to what Jesus, this character Jesus was saying, boom, it reminded me of quantum mechanics immediately. Why? Wow. Because quantum mechanics is not logical. Okay. I don't have time in this broadcast to explain to you. It's in the book. But when I read, when I started reading the New Testament and especially listening to what this character Jesus was saying, the supposed son of God was saying, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, it was like, wait a minute. He's speaking the language of quantum mechanics. He's speaking wow. like what I've been learning about in class. And in my lab about quantum, see, bottom line, Lauren, and again, I can't, you know, we don't have the time. All right. That's why I had to write well, the give book. Me, give right. me one example, though. Give me one example. All right. Let me give you one example. I mentioned the quantum vacuum. Okay. What is mm -hmm. the quantum vacuum? Okay. We believe in science, we believe that the quantum vacuum is responsible for creating the entire universe. That is to say that the quantum vacuum has always existed. It's an eternal entity. Okay. It always has is and always will be. Okay. Now, the quantum vacuum has the power to create an entire universe, right? Okay, let that sink in for a moment. But here's what's interesting about the quantum vacuum. The quantum, you know the word vacuum. The vacuum means yes. nothing. When you, when you, when you, you remember in high school science class, if your science teacher pulled a vacuum inside a bell jar, you know, he would get the pump going and he would take all the air out of the bell jar and, and he, he produced a vacuum. That means it's the absence of air. It's the absence of anything and everything. Right, that's, right. What, that's what a classical vacuum is. Well, we're not talking about a classical vacuum. We're talking about a quantum vacuum. So a classical vacuum is very logical. You remove something and what's left? Nothing. Okay? Very logical. Now, now you switch to a quantum vacuum. A quantum vacuum is not logical. It's very unlike a classical vacuum in the sense that it is, yes, nothing in a certain sense. It's nothing, but it's also at the same time, everything. Wow. Now, don't try to figure that out. It's not logical. But <laughs> is it something you want to just dismiss as, as stupidity and as nonsense, just the way people would want to dismiss the New Testament or Jesus? Well, yes, some people do. Some people will say, well, you know, that's just nonsense. That quantum mechanics, that quantum physics is just silly. It's nonsense. But it isn't. It isn't. I've spent my entire life studying the quantum vacuum, quantum mechanics, quantum physics in general. And there is a way to understand the quantum vacuum. But here's the bottom line. According to physics, my beloved physics, according to science, this supposedly very logical, straight-laced discipline, a quantum vacuum is at the same time nothing and everything. It's like saying something is barren and fertile, totally barren and totally fertile. It's like, you know, because I'm, part, I'm mostly Mexican, I think of it as a pinata. You know what a pinata is, right? <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, you know? yes. Okay. Well, it's like saying, kids, this pinata is empty. 
and then they break it open and it's full of candy. That is the paradox of a quantum vacuum. It's nothing and everything. Well, let's come back to the New Testament. So when I started reading the New Testament and listening to Jesus, I'm thinking, when he's saying the first shall be last, love not just your enemies, but your fr- uh, love not your friend, just your friends, but your enemies. Uh, the meek shall not the strong shall inherit. This was nonsense. This is not logical. This yeah. is exactly the opposite of logic. This man is not speaking logically. So at that point, I, I had the advantage because I'm thinking, yeah, that's my bro. That's my brother. He is speaking the language of quantum mechanics. Wow. And so this intrigued me. Now, I didn't drop to my knees at that moment and become a Christian. I'm, I'm, no, it's not that easy with me. But it was enough to hook me. It was enough to say, I need to finish this. I need to finish this New Testament. I need to see where this is taking me. And then I went and I, when I finished, I was still sufficiently intrigued, really intrigued for the just, and and by the way, I just gave you one example. I, I, in the book, I give you many more examples. It's even deeper. It's even deeper than I have time to get into. But what I'm saying to you and your listeners is, and especially to you Christians out there, here is just one example of why you should not buy into the lie that the Bible is at odds with science. It isn't. Wow. It's just the opposite. You see, look, if you're a Christian right now listening, you can say, you know what? I, I hate science. Yeah, you know, Dr. G, God bless you. But I, you know, I don't, I, st- I don't, I still, I'm skeptical about science. I don't like that whole evolution thing. I don't like that they're saying that the universe is 13.4 billion years old. I don't, stop, stop. Hmm. You're buying into the lie. You've been brainwashed read my book. I don't need you. Look, I'm quite well set up in life. I'm not doing this to sell books <laughs> to make money. You got to read the book because it's the only antidote to the antidote to the lie. Okay. The bottom line is, look, you can say, God bless you. Look, Dr. G, I'm just going to go through life. I'm going to stick with my Bible. If the Bible says something is true, I'm going to believe it. And that's good enough for me. I don't need science to validate the Bible. I don't need any of that. I'm not talking about that. Stop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that science is validating the Bible. That's not at all what I'm saying. I am not putting the Bible in a subordinate position. Okay. The right. Bible doesn't need science's permission to be true. The Bible is true. I believe it from, from cover to cover. I believe the Bible is true. And I don't, I, I, and yes, you don't need science to validate it. But here's what I'm saying to you is when you study science the way I have all my life, you discover something wonderful that it adds a whole new dimension to your belief in the Bible. Oh, absolutely. It necessarily validate it. Look. Absolutely. I, have, I, I absolutely believe that. We have sunflowers. Okay. My wife and I are big into flowers. Okay. We, we, have, we, we live in Texas. We have a ranch. So we have a lot of flowers, a lot of acreage. And the sunflowers right now are at a stage where some of them are still in bloom, but some of them have lost their blooms. But, you know, they have the seeds, the, the seed pot in the middle. Right. That are that are maturing. And so they're now starting to attract the little birds. And it's just wonderful to look out your window on a morning and see the little birds, you know, uh, crawling around the or flying around the uh, sunflowers, the dying sunflowers and eating the seeds. Now, yeah. why am I telling you this? Because here's the thing. The Bible explains that God created the universe. And I believe that for reasons that I explain in the book. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, there's nothing in science that contradicts that. Okay, that belief is completely consistent with uh, scientific the evidence, the scientific evidence. And I know a lot of listeners are saying, "What? No, yes, <laughs> it is." Okay, but here's the thing: 
I know something about sunflowers you probably don't because I'm a scientist and I've studied nature all my life. And that is this. You can look at the seeds, um, the, the, the round circle, the round disc of seeds at the heart of a sunflower and say, oh, that's nice. You know, seeds for birds to eat. No, no, no. There's more to it than that. Do you know that the number of seeds and the pattern in which they are arranged within that circle follows something we call um, a certain mathematical uh, equation, okay? And, it, and when you look at that equation, you realize that this creation, that God created the universe, okay, there is a beauty that you cannot appreciate unless you study it. And that's what mm -hmm. I've done. So yeah, you can look at a sunflower and say, oh, that's nice. It's pretty and, and it, it provides seeds for the birds. But I know something more about the sunflowers than the average person. So what I'm trying to say in my roundabout way is, yes, you could, if you're a Christian, you can go through life without knowing anything about science, without knowing anything about nature. Okay, but if you do bother to inform yourself about this magnificent universe that God has created, it doesn't take away from your belief in the Bible. It adds, it enhances yeah. your belief in the Bible. And that's why I think I'm so, I own my faith now, Laurel. When I, uh, Lauren, when I say, my wife's name is Laurel. So, you know, I know, I get them mixed up. It's Lauren, very close. So, so, so when, I, when I say I'm a follower of Jesus, there's a depth to that. I've yeah. spent my entire life understanding what that means. It's not because somebody told me to be a Christian. I've studied it and I, and I know what that means. So I own my faith. And I just want to encourage people out there to do the same thing. Don't even oh. take my word for it. Um, and don't just even read my book, but go out there and do your homework yeah. so that if somebody challenges your faith, you'll be prepared to explain it to them and say, and don't just say, well, because the Bible says it or because it changed my life. You know, an atheist can just shrug that off. He can shrug off the Bible. He can shrug off the change in your life, but he cannot shrug off the evidence that science has discovered about the beauty of, of, of the universe, wow. the evidence that God exists and that God created every little thing. Well, Dr. Michael Gillen, I want to thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. The, your book is called Believing is Seeing. A physicist explains how science shattered his atheism and revealed the ne necessity of faith. Um, we've run out of time, but honestly, we have to have you back to talk more about your book, uh, talk more about this, this, this marriage of science and faith and how, you know, really God is speaking through nature in many ways. And, the, and then the scientific um, method is a way that leads actually to understanding more about God. Um, it's really fascinating. Amen. Anytime, Lauren. It was a joy. God bless you and your listeners. God bless you too. And thank you so much for listening to Lighthouse Faith Podcast. I'm Lauren Green. Have a blessed day. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.